Hello and welcome to The Connected Generation. My name is Nikia Anani and I'm your host. Welcome, welcome, welcome guys. We are on episode 94. (laughs) It's just wild. It's wild to me that we're on episode 94 because I remember when I started the podcast back in March in 2020 and it just was like this passion project that I was doing during lockdown and it's just become much larger than life and you guys have been amazing support you know sharing it listening the listenership has grown phenomenally all around the world and I see the reviews I see the ratings and I'm super super grateful thank you um it's been thanksgiving on this side of the world and I guess I'm in a season of reflecting and just staying present in the moment and not just always chasing for the next thing. And I've just been, one of the things I'm super grateful for in 2021 is the gift of this podcast. Um, Both the gift that the the guests are, because they thoroughly bless me, and the gift that you guys are, the listeners. I'm super grateful. So hashtag blessed. This week, I was joined by a phenomenal lady, Sophia Johnson. She is a leadership strategist. And what's her jam? So she is super passionate about young leaders. And so we unpacked all things leadership, specifically for millennials who may be leading older teams. And she has navigated this herself. And so you know, how she stumbled into this whole world without me spilling all the tea and giving you all the gist. Essentially, she, on becoming a CFO, she realised that only 10% of her time was spent on actual technical accounting. And the balance 90% was on leading people. And she realised just how important leadership is. And so I don't want to spoil it, just encourage you to listen in. Um, Sophia, my God, she was just phenomenal. I was like, oh my god, (laughs) you know your stuff. Yeah, I learned so much from her and I was super inspired by her. So listen in and enjoy. Thank you guys. Hi Sophia, welcome to The Connects Generation. I'm really excited to have you join me today. Thank you so much for the invitation. I'm excited to be here as well. Looking forward to the show. Nice. Today you're, you know, passionate about helping executives especially millennials, dissolve leadership and career blocks. Um, but before we unpack that, how did you get to where you are today? Tell us more about, you know, your journey. Wow. Yes, it has, it has been quite a journey. So, you know, when I look back in my life, I recognize that leadership was always a part of my life. Sometimes if you think back to your childhood, you may recognize that you may have been selected to do something in class or to manage a group or these kinds of things. And we never take notice right. that very, from very early on, our leadership qualities are starting to show themselves. I didn't take notice of that. But when I got into the workplace, I remember being exposed to different types of people and then having the opportunity to supervise and then to grow into management. And I got into management at age 22. That was my first management position. And it was so interesting because I led people, I managed people who older than I was. And mm-hmm. that brought its own dynamic. And then 
I got promoted into the C-suite chief financial officer when I was age 25 and getting into executive management. And again, being one of the youngest executives and having to fight my way through and really show my worth, my value, my competence in the workplace was such a fantastic experience. But what I recognized was that departments and organizations, they rose or fell based on who the leader was. You would change out a department manager and the entire department takes on a completely different feel. Mm. And a CEO will change and the organization will take on a very different feel, look, atmosphere. And then I recognized that the entire thing, the entire thing, sorry, hinged on leadership. And I really came to appreciate that leadership, I believe, is one of the single most influential factors in any environment and then I sought to delve deeper into it to study it to research it to to explore it a little bit more and since then my passion for leadership has grown and when I became the CFO the chief financial officer I was selected really based on my accounting knowledge my accounting qualifications my accounting experience and when I became the chief financial officer only 10% of my time was actually spent doing accounting the far majority of my time was actually spent leading people and I was not prepared I did not have the skills I did not have the training there's actually a piece of research out of Harvard I believe that says one in every five CEOs actually believed that they were prepared for the position at the time of appointment, which means four in every five, 80% of the people who occupy these leadership positions are truly not prepared, truly not prepared for what they will encounter. Yes. Yes. So that's my, that's my journey. And, and so from there, I decided to develop specific tools. So I have a, a, a proprietary uh, executive leadership profiling assessment meant to delve into the specific traits, skills, strengths, weaknesses of a leader and how they will play out in the workplace and how to aid them as they develop. You know, so to we develop so many tools over the years to truly help leaders, to help executives, managers to lead better in the workplace. Wow, wow, wow. It's really interesting journey you've had. Um, and there's a lot of parallels between my usual audience, which are successes in family businesses and your life journey. But before we unpack, um, you know, more of that and more of the work you, you do, I just wanted to know from your perspective, how do you define leadership? So for me, leadership is really about influence. And I can even go further to say, to influence another person to take action. So if it is you say that you have influenced somebody, but there is no change in their behavior or thinking, then the leadership did not really occur. It is Mm -hmm. influencing another person to take action, to change their perspective or their approach or their methodology based on your own. Mm -hmm. And I would often tell leaders, the deeper the conviction to take that action, is the deeper the leadership influence that would have occurred. So for me, leadership is about influence. It's not about management. Leadership is a completely different domain from management. It's not just about directing and controlling or organizing and some of the things we would talk about with management. It is about getting people to willingly follow your lead. Mm-hmm. The powerful, really powerful. I love that. It's about willingly following 
It's about yeah. influence, it's about persuading. Yeah. I completely, yeah. completely agree. And as I was saying, a lot of our listeners are successes in family businesses and dealing with managing older teams, mm-hmm. which you spoke a bit about, which you've had personal experience in and you, you help folks with really handling this. So what was your experience like, if you can go deeper into that and what tips sure. do you have for folks? Sure. So the experience was quite of a wild one. I mean, and it had, and it followed me all through my career. And I remember this one particular lady, she came into the department. I was the CFO. She came into the department as one of the, one of the accountants. She was older than I was. And she told me right straight out, I refuse to report to you because I'm older than you are. I think it's wrong for anybody older to report to somebody younger and I'm not going to do it. Wow. And I could have responded and used all the HR policies and the insubordination, but I knew that I had to get her to willingly follow me. Mm-hmm. So I, and so I understood that her issue was strictly a matter of age. It was not competence or anything else. And so what I sought to do was to show her that it made perfect sense and it would be to her benefit to follow my lead because I was more experienced than she was. I was more qualified. I knew the job. And so what I did is I included her in a lot of the deliberations. I included her in a lot of my strategic planning for the department and for the organization for her to see the process that I had to go through at my level. And then she gained an awesome respect for me. And she said, Saf, I don't think I could do what you do. And so I respect you. And I'm so glad that you are our leader. And But that was after about two or three years. But I had to go through the process of gaining her trust and gaining her respect. And not just imposing myself because I had positional power. I knew I will not get what I want out of her if I just used that. And I might have validated what she thought in any event about millennials and young people mm-hmm. that, you know, we, we, we like things easy and all these different things, which is simply not true, which is simply not true. So I had to show her that it was in her best interest to be part of my team. And she came around and she was so thankful. And so when it came to leading older subordinates, I would often tell millennial leaders or younger leaders, do not ever rely on your positional power. Don't do it. Mm-hmm. Because it is a weak form of control. You need to always be present. You always need to have the big stick out for them to do what they need to do. And I would often say managers get people to do what they want, but leaders get people to want what they want. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. getting people to want what you want. Once you get them to want what you want, they operate on their own. They go and do the work they need to do. They, you don't have to always check up on them because they want exactly what you want. And so they follow that pattern. And sometimes the journey is long. Sometimes, you know, it takes time to build that trust, allow the process to take its course. You know, if it is you want, well, You know, some persons may or may not be familiar with farming examples, but there are some crops that they are longer term, especially those that will last longer, where the trees will grow strong and last for years. And sometimes it takes a little bit longer to to nurture those kinds of plants 
those mm-hmm. kinds of trees. So if it is you want leadership influence that will be sustained, that will be powerful, even after you've left the organization or even after you've transitioned into a new de- position or department, you have to take the time to build that deep influence. Allow the process to take its course. They will be looking at you. They would look at everything. They would look at your facial expression. They would look at every iota of who you are. And in each case, you need to show up as a leader that is worthy of following, you know? Powerful, powerful. I love what you said about the distinction between you want folks to want what you want as opposed to do what you want. And I love the analogy you gave of crops and how sometimes it takes longer to nurture and develop them, but then those are the ones that will outlast the ones that, you know, take shorter. And really it's about legacy. It's really about being able to leave an organization and be able to have left an impact. Um, You spoke about how in your career, you observe that quite often when a leader would leave a department or leave an organization or a new leader would come in, the Mm -hmm. department will completely change. Essentially, the culture was dependent on an individual. Can you unpack that a bit more? Oh, yes. Mm. Sure. In fact, I was so intrigued by that phenomenon. I actually used it as my thesis when I did my master's, where I actually went into some organizations. We tried to get a good sense of the traits, the the, um, characteristics of the organization, And then we sought to get the traits and the characteristics of the top leader, be the CEO, the president, whoever is that person at the top. And based on the length of time that the person was there, you find more and more the organization itself took on the traits of the top leader. It's based on a model that they call the ASA model, which is attraction, selection, and attrition. And what that model says very simply is that we are attracted to similar. We are attracted to things and places and environments that are similar to us, our ethos, and our own life view, worldview. When you get into an environment and it is the same, you tend to stay. Mm -hmm. If it's different, you tend to leave. Mm -hmm. And so after a while, when that occurs, who remain in the, the persons who remain in the environment are so similar that the traits start to be the traits of the organization as a whole. So there's actually a whole scientific process behind it. But the truth is, when someone comes into an organization, what that person believes about an organization, their philosophy on people, on work, on how work is driven, on how results are produced, that is what they will seek to put in place in the organization. So I remember going into this organization and my predecessor believed that people need to be always looked at you can't leave them for a moment otherwise they wouldn't work she believed that people needed to be beaten almost threatened to keep working that was not my style so when i became the ceo my style is i honestly believe that people want to do well at their jobs genuinely and if they are not doing well it's a distress even to them not just the organization because people want to be successful and then you have to find out the why. Are they missing the tools, the training, the know-how? Is it a misfit? Mm. 
That's how I approached the organization. And what started to happen, there was a whole transformation within the organization about how people approached work. They became more innovative. They became more outspoken about how they can do things, how we can do it better and faster. Because now it was not a matter of overlooking them, beating them to work. It was they were also trying to show their best selves. Mm-hmm. because they believe that if it is they didn't know how they could come and say, Safia, I'm not sure how to do this, or I'm not sure if I'm in the right role. Perhaps I need to go to another role. And I allowed for all of those dynamics. And what we found, we became more productive. We hit, we, we hit and exceeded targets after a while. Staff turnover went down to under 1%. And so what you find is that whomever is on top, their philosophy, their way of functioning will pervade. If you go into an organization and you feel the room tense, just in their waiting room or their lobby, you can tell the personality of the person at the top. You're going to see it. It's just what it is. And um, we can't get away from it. That's why on sport teams, they fire the manager. They don't fire the players, mm-hmm. right? When the team is not doing well, because it hinges on leadership. Wow. Wow. You you also mentioned about how when you became a CFO, it really wasn't about the technical. The roles switched as you ascended up the ladder. You realize actually the accounting element of it is very minute compared to the people leadership part. And I often say that um, there's a misconception in leadership that it's technical, but in reality, it's relational. It is. Um, can you speak more to then which skills do you need as a leader? If it's not in a technical capacity or functional, um, what skills should leaders be seeking to build and how can they seek to do that? Sure. There is this acronym that I developed for the, there are eight key characteristics or sometimes skills or characteristics that lead to skills. And it's called just the lead just lead and it's eight letters because there are eight items and I would just go through it very briefly. The first one, the J is the journey. You have to tell people where you're going. People have to know what you're seeking to accomplish. That's the vision. They have to know Mm -hmm. what we're working towards. People will not join you if they don't know where you're going. Mm -hmm. In fact, when you communicate your vision very clearly, you are more likely to get buy-in and to get people to go for the long haul with you. If they are not certain on where to where you're going, they do not, they do not commit themselves to that journey. They do not commit themselves. So the journey is important. Then the you is understanding. You must understand that you are leading people, not equipment, not furniture, not numbers, not file numbers. You are leading people. You are leading humans and the human element is very, very important and you have to give place for it. It doesn't mean that every emotional issue you have to drag into the workplace, but you mm-hmm. have to acknowledge and allow and appreciate the human in people. Mm-hmm. Then I have the S, the self-awareness. This is to me is one of the biggest factors. You have to become aware of who you are, mm-hmm. how you operate, your triggers, positive, negative, and even how you impact others and an environment. You have to be aware of you. Many times leaders are not aware of themselves. They're like, I don't know if you've heard the, ex- the expression, bull in China shops. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Once you're not aware of yourself, you would be like a bull in a China shop. 
self-awareness is critical. When we get to the T, that's team cultivation, meaning that you need to cultivate a sense of pack and belonging because people are pack animals by nature. They need mm-hmm. to belong to somewhere. They need to know that they are, that they're wanted where they are, that they're appreciated. So you have to cultivate that team. That's the just. When we get to lead, L is learning, creating that opportunity for growth for yourself, personally, professionally, as well as for your team members. Very, very critical. Then the E, it's a big one, especially in family environments. I love to call it environmental relevance. What that means is that you must have an appreciation for history and culture mm-hmm. before you seek to change or make any impact. If you do not have an appreciation for history and culture, you can be a new leader coming in or particularly in family environments. You must take that time to appreciate what has happened before you got there. The struggles, the successes, that would allow you to really take that battle and move it forward. And then the A is achievement. You must execute. After all humanization, after we, we, we talk about the journey, we have to get there. We have to get things done. We have to produce results. And the last one, which is D, which is dialogue. It comes down to communication and how you communicate. Uh, your concept about communication is very, very critical. So I just use that acronym, Just Lead, to really talk about the eight key characteristics that leaders ought to develop. And uh, I will tell you this, anybody... This is my belief, and I've seen it in the research. Anybody can lead very, very well, very effectively. They just have to learn the skills that they need to. So the things, you know, there's the age-old argument, are leaders born or made? Uh I believe that they're made. While some persons have some natural leadership qualities, even those, if they do not train themselves, if they do not get the right support, if they do not get the right mentorship, they will not ever reach their full potential. So there must be an element of mentorship, training, support to develop those leadership skills. All right. And that's where this connection to the older generations are so critical. You know, so it's never, ever coming in on your own, especially when you're taking a battle from before mm-hmm. and thinking that you can just dissolve and do away with all that went before. You must appreciate, take learnings from it. You know, when you study leadership with the generations, you're going to see from the silent generation, the baby boomers coming down, they operated largely by instructions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, you can tell them what you want them to do and they do it. They didn't really question things much. But when you get to the millennial and the Gen Z, they ask questions. They want to understand why you are saying what you are saying. Not because we did it for a thousand years before, means that I'm going to do it now. They're looking for innovation. All right. And when they understand each other better, you find they're able to bring the best of the both worlds together, which is what the organization needs really to be sustained, you know, for the next phase of its life. Powerful. Just lead. Those Just eight lead. items yeah. <laughs> are phenomenal. Um, I love the part on appreciating the history and the culture yeah. before you try to change it. And it's particularly pertinent in family businesses, as you kind of outlined. COVID-19, we cannot be in 2021 and not talk about this thing that just, heaven knows when it's going to stop. Leading in turbulent times, um, want to know your thinking on how folks can lead through these uncertain, choppy times. Yeah. 
I think the first thing is to acknowledge that you are the leader. You, you are the one that people will look to, to know what's happening. So I think embracing that role is critical. I have seen when the entire thing started late 2019 to early 2020, some leaders, they themselves, they, they, they fell off the ship. You know, they felt overwhelmed by all that was happening and they left their posts and then chaos set in in their organization naturally or the next leader rose and took control. And so leaders have to first recognize in times of crisis, when there's turbulence, you are in control. You are the one people would look to. You can't leave at that time. You can't disappear. You can't go silent. You have to be present and show up. Even if it is to say, guys, I am not fully sure about what we are going to do just yet. Give me a moment. They just need to know that you're present. So don't ever leave your post as a leader in turbulent times. That's the first thing I always tell leaders. Don't don't disappear on your people. They need to know that you are there and you're treating with the matter. All right. The second thing is I always encourage leaders to get accurate information from credible sources. And that's a huge thing with this information overload with the COVID-19. Now, it could be COVID or it could be any other crisis because organizations will face crises. It's just that at this season, this is a global crisis. So everybody's facing it at the same time. But for crises, it's all the same. So you need to also get credible information. You cannot make decisions just based on your gut. You cannot make decisions based on hearsay, corridor information. You have to ensure that you have as much credible, accurate, objective information as possible. Because you want to ensure that you make the right decision. The right decision will come with information. Information is so critical. All right. Then the other thing I often tell leaders in times of turbulence is communicate. Communicate frequently, communicate honestly, communicate objectively and as much as possible unemotionally. Communicate. Let people know what is happening, where the organization is, how will they be impacted, what is going to happen next as far as you can see. Keep them in the loop. And as I said before, even if it's just to say, I am not sure of all the details right now, but we are working on it. Say something. All right. They need you to communicate. And the last thing I would say, because it's quite a few, but the last thing I think is one of the biggest things is that you always want to look for the opportunity in crisis. Because there is always an opportunity. I had to shake some clients. I remember when the whole thing happened, particularly in my country, when businesses started to be shut down, a person started to let go their staff, a lot of things happened. And I remember telling some clients, listen, the money in the economy didn't disappear. The money in the economy is right there. It didn't come bust. It didn't burn up. It's right there. You now have to think how you can position yourself to continue for that money to circulate within your sphere. All right. So you now have to become innovative. Look for the opportunity. All right. So after you've gone through, you know, the shock of it, you've gone through getting the credible information, you've gone through at least connecting with your team. You then have to look for the opportunity. Look for how can we come out of this better? What can we do to survive or thrive in the midst of this turbulence? Because there is opportunity. There is always opportunity. And it's the leader's responsibility to find it, to Mm -hmm. find it, and then harness it. Mm -hmm. All right? So there is opportunity. 
find it. That, that's your role. That's your job. Look for it. Speak with people. Connect with new people. Ask questions. Do research. Dig up. Find it because it's there. And you need to find it in order to stay in business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love yeah. it. I love it. That, that's my favorite one. <laughs> <For sure. laughs> Finding opportunity, I think, in crisis, out of crisis, I think, as business owners, if we're thinking legacy, we have to constantly be um, pursuing new frontiers, um, yeah. finding new opportunities, new markets, new yeah. products, new services, new ventures, new investments. We always have to push the boundaries yeah. Um, yeah. in and out of um, difficult times. This has been phenomenal, Sophia. You are like oh, wow, <laughs> of leadership like expertise is just dripping all over you. You oh, mentioned you. that you have an executive leadership profiling assessment tool. Can you speak more about that? All right. So this specific tool was developed to unmask what is the natural leadership style of a given person. Because we all have our own intrinsic styles, personalities, background, histories, socializations, that impact who we are and how we represent and present ourselves um, in leadership in the workplace. There are philosophies that we espouse uh, that we learnt along the way. And it's important for me, if I'm to support someone, to understand what that is. Because when I work with clients, and I often tell persons I'm not a leadership coach, I am a leadership strategist because it's building the right strategy for you to Mm -hmm. show up you know, in, in this fantastic leadership way with compelling influence and corporate visibility and making sure your voice is heard. And in order for that result to be sustained, it has to be aligned with who you are. Mm-hmm. And that is why I developed the tool. I need to understand who you are as a leader. What is your intrinsic style? And in fact, when we do the assessment, there are 10 profiles, all right? So you can be one of the 10. In the 10 profiles, it speaks about your character, basic characteristics, but strengths. Then we talk about your weakness, the things that you're prone to, the areas you're prone to actually waste time. Where can you redeem time if it is you want to work less? Because I don't believe you need to make necessary work more to make a greater impact. You just need to work more strategically. Mm-hmm. All right. We, that is explored. Even the possible origins of the style. Why do you lead the way you lead? Where did it come from? And we explore that. And then we also explore if it is you want to get to the next level of leadership. If you're looking for promotion or you want to just deepen your leadership prowess, what are the things you need to look at you as a person to get to that next level? So it's incredibly individualized. And with that, we add on to that your personal goals. What do you want to accomplish? Is it that you just, you are fine where you are in your career, but you just need more time back? Is it that you're looking for promotion? Is it that you're looking even to transition into your own business? What exactly you are looking for? I add that onto your profile. And then I add onto that environmental factors because I believe that leadership must be environmentally specific. Because the way you lead, for example, in a construction organization, you will not lead the same way if it is you're in an accounting firm. Mm-hmm. So it has to. Have, there are some elements that will change. Once we look at all of that, then a strategy is created specifically for that person mm-hmm. to allow that person to get to the next level. When I work with executive teams, I do that for each person on the team. And based on those outcomes, I'm able to tell 
how to get the best out of the team, the synergy, because sometimes you have individual leaders that are so strong, but they don't play well with others. And the CEO have a hard time getting people to work together and to truly accomplish team goals. And so once we're able to determine each person's profile, it's very easy then for me to see what would be the best way for them to work together. And so that's how, that's how I use the profiling and that's why I developed it. And it's, it's an awesome tool. It's an awesome, and it's so interesting when people see themselves, they're like, Oh my gosh, this is so me. And what it does, it helps with self-awareness because sometimes you may not recognize this is who you are. This is how you show up. This is how people will view you. If these are the traits you constantly exhibit, mm-hmm. it helps them to take better. Even just even that alone is a win for a lot of clients because they feel like, Oh, I get this now. That is why this happens. This is why I respond like this. And they are better able to take control. Yeah. It sounds fantastic. So how can folks um, use your tool? Do they have to, is it downloadable on the website or they have to get in touch with you privately? Or Yes. Yes. I generally uh, use the tool when I work with clients privately. So at my website, safiajohnson.com. Uh, so if they go there, they can schedule a complimentary 30-minute consultation. And the reason why I do that is because no two people are the same. No two leaders are the same. So I don't believe any leadership strategy can just be a cookie-cutter strategy. It's not something that I believe in. But it's no obligation. It's no cost at all. So there is no risk to the person. Literally, I sit with them, understand where they are in their leadership journey. And then I offer, at least from my perspective, what I see as their best next steps to get to where they want to go. I mean, even if it's not working with me, so that's that's fine. I will then link you with who I think might be best positioned to help you because it's not just about, okay, you're looking for a new client. Yes, I'm thankful for all the clients that I do have and I love all my clients, but I'm more interested in getting people to where they want to go, helping people accomplish their goals if it's with us fantastic if it's not with us and i can link you with somebody that's still fantastic so i really enjoy those sessions so we invite people to book it via our website schedule the session meet with us meet with me and yeah get get started people need to invest in themselves nikki i I, I absolutely believe that the greatest investment the richest return that you would ever get is from investing in yourself Indeed, I always say you are you are you are the most important assets, and you cannot over you cannot overinvest in yourself. Um, Hands down, the return on investment is always phenomenal. Yeah. Your passion um, is really like coming through <laughs> on leadership, and your heart of service towards folks is really really coming through as well. Um, what does working with you look like? So, for someone that you know. Um, is the successors grappling with leadership, grappling mm. with really getting folks to follow willingly, um, dealing with uh, managing older teams as a mm-hmm. young executive. Yeah. What does working with you look like? Right. Okay. So once we've had that consultation, we then determine which best model of our service works best for you. We do have, which I, I generally recommend that the starting point after we have done the assessment, you've done the profiling, we understand your personal goals, environmental factors, we develop a specific strategy for you. We then sit what we call with, um, we then sit, sorry, in a VIPD, I call it a VIPD, where we sit together, 
for five to six hours, just so that you wouldn't always be out of work. You can set aside a day, even if it's a weekend. We facilitate persons and we sit and we go through your strategy, what you need to do to get to where you want to go. And it comes with an implementation plan, what you need to do, but what you need to do by when to help you maintain your progress and to keep on process also. And we also provide our clients with what we call swipe files, cheat sheets, to-do lists, not-to-do lists, idea lists, just to help them. But if it is, for example, they have to treat with someone who is performing poorly, how do you approach it? What steps you should go through? So you have that with you. You can just turn to it and see what I should be doing now. Even some of the language that should be used to help you through the process, addressing difficult um, people, Mm-hmm. how to do that. We give you some steps in that. Mm-hmm. So you get the one-on-one where you sit with me. We go through the profile that is, the, sorry, the strategy that is for you. You get all of these other things to go with. And then what we do, we offer, it's, it's, it's an option. You don't have to take it, but it's an option where we offer this on-call support for six months. Even as you are putting these things into practice, something may happen and you need to phone me up and say, Safa, this is happening and I'm not too sure how to approach it. What do you suggest? Or an opportunity came for promotion and I really want to take advantage. Can you help me prepare for it? Sure. So the on-call support gives that kind of resource that is readily available to the client to help them through the journey. Some people feel like after they've had the session, they've got this and only if I need you, I will call you at that point. Mm -hmm. Uh, Other than that, there is a a smaller package that I do with persons, which is just taking them through the just lead characteristics and what it may look like for them. It's a much shorter session over a period of an hour to an hour and a half to allow them to better understand leadership, what it entails. And then they have to then go off and do the work, see where they are in relation to those characteristics and how they can improve. Yeah. And that's when I work with individuals, teams. It's very similar. But then there are a lot of group activities. There are a lot of synergistic development um, sessions that I do with teams to ensure that the organization gets the best out of the group that they have as their leadership team. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Fantastic. This has been phenomenal, Safia. Thank you so much. If anyone would like to get hold of you, how best can they reach you? All right. So besides the website, SafiaJohnson.com, they can send an email to info, I-N-F-O, at SafiaGroup.com, S-A-F-I-Y-A-G-R-O-U-P.com, or they can call or WhatsApp uh, this number, one 877 3215 All right. And that is our business number and you can call it, as I said, you can WhatsApp it. We would respond to you. We'd be happy. Even if it's just to ask a question, we'd be happy, you know, just to support persons on their on their leadership journey. Yeah. Incredible. Incredible. Thank you so much, Safia. You are so welcome. It was such a pleasure being here with you. And I I really trust that your listeners uh, got some value and some really good advice that they can take and use in their own in their own worlds. Yeah. Indeed, indeed. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Goodness me, so many tweetables. (laughs) So many quotes. Like, I was like, taking notes? (laughs) If you see the YouTube version of this recording, you see me, like, with my notebook in the corner. Like, (laughs) I had 
had like a whole page of notes because Sophia was just like pouring, pouring the wisdom. And I think the important thing is the importance of soft skills. And I shared this on my LinkedIn a couple of weeks back on how Simon Sinek was saying that um, soft skills are just human skills. And the very, you know, label of soft is to con- like give this connotation that it's unimportant, but really soft skills are just leadership skills. They're just human skills. And that is where it's at. And I loved what Sophia was saying about how leadership is about willing followership. Um, and I would, and she was saying about how the distinction between leaders and managers, I really love that. And the distinction between positional leadership and persuasive leadership throughout. I, it requires social intelligence. It requires seeking to gain trust and respect from folks around you um, and to influence and not impose. And I think there's a distinction between a leader and a ruler, right? Um, rulers dictate, leaders influence, um, rulers impose, leaders inspire. Um, I think as an ex-gen in a family business, family enterprise system, where often one may feel kind of, you know, armless, legless, sometimes voiceless, um, it's really important to learn how to lead through persuasion and not necessarily through position and how to influence various stakeholders through understanding of their perspectives, priorities and preferences. And one of my ultimate like favorite leaders is Nelson Mandela. And he says, a leader is like a shepherd. He stays behind the flock, letting the most nimble go out ahead, where upon the others follow, not realizing that all along they're being directed from behind. So followership is as a result of being led and it's possible to be led from behind. It's possible to be a leader when others cannot necessarily see you. (laughs) Um, And I often liken it to as next gens, we may feel like we have no arms, no legs, no voices and all that. And we have no power to make a change, but I think that's such a fallacy and such a myth that one must debunk right away. Think about it this way. As a change agent, if you see a glass of water, um, let's put two glasses of water, one without salt and one with salt. From the eye, they may look exactly the same, but oh, goodness me, you know for a fact that salt is changing. The molecular um, makeup of the water is changing. The taste is changing. It's a preservative. So it is possible to have an impact on a system where you're not necessarily leading from the front. <laughs> it's possible to have willing followers. It's possible to bring about a change when you're not necessarily leading from the front. Something to stew on <laughs> and think about. Thank you so, so much for tuning in. Take good care and God bless you.